0: This is a podcast from Minute Media. The one-one fly ball right center deep got
1: a chance five hundred. Welcome
0: back, Miguel Cabrera has done it.
2: Stands at a slight angle, quick step back and turn.
0: Fly ball left field, fairly deep off the bat of Dozier. Butu back, he's going to jump up and
1: made the catch. A <laughs> kill the dude.
0: Fly ball, right field, fairly deep. Going back, Garcia, at the fence, looking up, and it's
2: gone. Turnbull sets. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. History.
0: Spencer Turnbull has become the sixth Tiger pitcher to throw the eighth no-hitter in franchise history.
3: i there. I get the mix uh, John Sebastian writing one of the most iconic theme songs of TV theme songs. Well, it's not, it was a song that stood by itself, but uh, nevertheless, it, it kind of ties into what we're talking about, which is the 1972 Tigers and welcome back baseball. So there's a lot to go on this evening. Welcome to another episode of Tigers radio podcast here at MotorCityBangles.com. I am Rojelo Casillo, along with his name is Chris Brown and Youper, and you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia, Stitcher, and Google Play. As uh please subscribe to the Tiger Minor League YouTube channel and also if you want to check out our Patreon, Tigers Minor League Report, all that. So tonight tonight's guest. Well, this is the first time I will say that we're outnumbered here, Chris, in terms of uh actual people from the upper peninsula or well, the UP. Lorela. Lorela. Okay. You I would have said, said it right. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, yes.
0: <laughs> I, I,
3: I, I, a, youper,
2: a youper would get that right. <laughs>
3: he writes a fantastic Sunday's notes column, which always has great insights on some of the prospects going on and just and everything in general in baseball. And we're going to be talking about the 72 Tigers because the lockout that took the strike that took place then. So the, the parallels with that, mm-hmm. and it was just a fun to look at, but Chris, you want to go ahead and ask our first time guests, the question we always ask for first time guests.
1: <laughs> sure. Hi, David. Uh, I uh, yeah. So we, we always just like to hear about our, our guests earliest baseball memories.
2: Oh, wow. That's the Rob Nyer question from his podcast too. Oh,
1: son of a, wait, <laughs> how, how, hold on a second. How long has Rob Nyer been doing that podcast?
2: I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, a couple of years, maybe.
1: All right. Um. That's fine. Anyway, continue. So,
2: so, wow. That's, it's funny you ask that because Rob asked it and I've never been on his show, but I've heard, heard people say their memories. And I thought, well, if I'm ever on his show, I will probably say my first memory was being in grade school in uh, and I'm going to give away my age here, certainly, uh, in grade school in the UP in uh, the town of Trenary and the seventh game of the 1968 world series that of course the tigers were in, uh, they brought a small, uh, black and white TV into the study hall and everybody got to watch, uh, whatever, maybe like the last hour, maybe. Uh, and I recall uh, we didn't get to stay there. Of course, we had to get on the bus when the bus <laughs> came. And uh, the last thing I heard was Mike Shannon homering in the uh, top of the ninth inning to make it 4-1. And then I went out to the bus. Yeah. Um, I, I was old enough at that time that maybe I, ha- I have some sort of memory prior to that as like a smaller child, but that's what really stands out to me.
1: That's great. Yeah. yeah, You know, it's interesting is, is, I I don't know, you guys would know better uh, than I, when this, uh, when they stopped playing playoff games during the day, because they were still doing that in 84, I believe.
2: I don't know the year, but they should do it more often. Maybe, maybe not the world series, of course, but I mean, they do the early rounds now, of course. But yeah. you get into the ALDS, there is no reason. Actually, you know what? World Series on a Sunday. W- why not? You're they competing might. against
0: football, but. Yeah. So. Yeah, they've, they've they've ceded so much of the schedule to football, unfortunately. But leaving like in 84, the Tigers, they played it, you know, uh, for sure the Saturday was game four in Detroit.
3: Yeah it, like a three yeah, it was a three o'clock game or something to that effect. But uh, so, yeah, there's so baseball's happening. The owners and everybody came together and got the deal done. And one of the things that came out just just right before the podcast that was pretty interesting. was a comments from uh, Rob Manfred about the relationship with the players? And so I have this quote here. Well, one of the things I'm supposed to do is promote a good relationship with our players. I've tried to do that. I think I've not been successful in that. I think it mm-hmm. it begins with a small steps. It's why I picked up the phone after, my ratific- after the ratification and called Tony Clark and expressed my desire to work with him. It's going to be a priority of mine going forward to try to make good on a commitment I made to him on the phone, end quote. So some contrition there, but it's also, it still has a long ways to go before anything is resolved. But uh, gentlemen, I mean, it, as far as everything's, there's, there's so much details going out and there's everything's still scattered but how pumped are you guys or is this this whole 99 lockout thing kind of left you a little bit bitter
0: go ahead David yeah,
2: well, are we all speaking at once here? oh no, no I'm sorry David I should, I, should <laughs> no. I usually I'm usually good at
3: passing the ball so that's my fault so David yeah I'll start with you we're, we're, I, f- I fumbled thoughts? it out of bounds that's my fault uh,
2: Ed, the Michigan State game is on here over my, cor- my shoulder too so oh okay I mean, I'm pumped. Of course, I mean, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, going down to spring training in a week. Um, I will not make it to Lakeland, unfortunately, but the idea of going there and seeing more than just the minor league guys is uh, pretty exciting.
3: About you, Yuper? I mean, were you? I'm sure you're pretty pretty stoked. I mean, through the whole time, you haven't really showed a lot of anger or any kind of frustration. (laughs) Unlike myself and, well, I know Chris doesn't show a lot of anger, so I'm not really sure. Chris is sometimes <laughs> a, well, you, know, you have a good way of expressing yourself, but you're just, I'm, I'm more loud about it apparently. But Youper, you're pretty stoked about the whole thing.
0: Oh, it's, it's it's good to have it, you know, to take away the uncertainty, if nothing else. You know, I wrote that thing a couple of days ago. I don't think they were in, in, in danger of losing scads of fans. Like a lot of people like to vent and they're serious in the moment saying they're not coming back but I don't think really we were that close to that. Um, And at least now they've mitigated any damage uh, that they may have done to the sport. If any, I felt pretty confident the other day, uh, that something would happen soon when they announced uh, a a relationship with Apple. I mean, I just couldn't see how they would ever justify coming into something like that uh, with, with a major partner. And then, scrapping half of the season <laughs> you know that would be even though if anybody could do it wrong baseball might be able to manage it uh that would have seemed stupendously wrong so um, i think that was a sign that something would get done and thankfully it did it's going to be a whole lot better for all of us to uh watch the game cover the game write about the game ruminate about it uh instead of uh,
1: worrying about dollars and cents at a negotiating table
3: and what about you chris
1: yeah, it's I'm I for, for one thing. I mean, we do a podcast every week. We've been doing it uh, multiple times a week. It's nice to be able to talk about something other than labor issues, uh, seeing as I'm not a labor expert uh, and I have zero insight. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I know it, it's it's just, you know, it's exciting to to be able to think about going to games again or watching games on TV again or listening to games on the radio. It, it's just that the, the certainty of knowing that the games are coming back is nice.
2: Well, Chris, you must not be on Twitter because everybody on Twitter has been a labor expert now for uh, about a month.
1: Oh, I'm on Twitter. All right. Yeah, I, uh, I may. I probably have uh, contributed a tweet or two, but I tend to uh, quickly erase them.
0: Well, It's kind of like how people were saying, you know, for the last two years, um, so many people have been infectious disease experts. But now they've resigned from that and they've become an Eastern Eastern Europe affairs experts instead. <laughs> so.
3: Yeah. I mean, even, with, even explain the international draft, they did an article about that today. And in terms of the ramifications of it, there is so much moving parts with it. For example, people don't think about the quality of life that the, the people in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela or Cuba and what they have to go through. So th- there's a, there's a lot of different elements with that. And I'm glad they're going to table that and, and take a deeper look at it come July. Or um, I believe that's what I read earlier. So but the Tigers have to address a couple things. I mean, they have to address the starting rotation, whether they're going to re-sign somebody like well I try to think that they would have sign him, really Willie because he didn't, he hasn't been, remained unsigned even before the, the lockout. But also some bullpen help, another lefty would help. And, and again, this was one up for debate, and I'll, I'll ask you, David, do you think the Tigers need another bat in the lineup Compliment. just terms terms If you look at the outfield depth right now, it's it's a little a little shallow, at least in my opinion, but do you think the Tigers should get a bat?
2: They should get Andrew McCutcheon.
3: Wow. I like that. You
2: know, that is where I'd go. You know, he's mostly a left fielder at this point. Uh, you know, Badu doesn't hit lefties. Whether he ever will, we don't know that yet. McCutcheon has always hit lefties really well. He'd be a great platoon. You know, DH at times, play a little right yeah, he'd be, a, I think he'd be great.
3: Yeah, Walter, uh, in our YouTube, actually was the big time, David, so um, yeah, he's been on the, he's been on the McCutcheon train for a while now. Uh, what about you, Chris? Is there, I mean, you did a really good article today. You you mentioned a couple names. You mentioned Garrett Richards. You mentioned Sonny Gray, which is somebody that I've uh, discussed before, and an old uh, favorite of ours, Brad Miller, because Brad Miller always mm. seems to come up every year as that power lefty that can do a little bit of everything, but is there anybody else, Chris, that comes to mind in terms of where the Tigers should go?
1: Well, you know, a lot of people have talked about them bolstering the bullpen. The name Andrew Chafin comes up a lot. Uh, I was looking at Jake Diekman maybe as a guy, but he, he's kind of, he would be almost a duplicate of Gregory Soto to me. He's a hard throwing lefty with like a bunch of strikeouts and walks. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, there are, are there are handfuls of guys out there that there's going to be a flurry of of movement here in the next week or two. <clears throat> And I suspect we're going to see a lot more spring training invites with, you know, whatever attached to them uh, than we have before. So I I don't know. I don't know if teams are are going to try to now wait the free agents out and and get, get them that way. Or if they're going to strike quickly and get, uh, you know, try to get a quick deal. But I I do think that they need starting pitching depth uh, in a big way, just because starters Mm -hmm. always get hurt and, almost all of their depth on the 40 man is co- completely inexperienced. Like guys who literally haven't thrown an inning in the majors. And, and the only one who has is Ronnie Garcia, who's thrown like 20 innings.
3: Yeah, There's one name that I like too, that I, I wrote about a couple of weeks ago. I thought in terms of uh, Matt Graham, you mentioned too, right? Chris just now the in terms of Matt Stram, Oh, no, I thought, I'm sorry. I thought you mentioned him before. Maybe it was our, or we were talking earlier. I think he's a different type of lefty compared to the Greg Louis Soto He's got better control. I, you can give him maybe a option to camp based off his injury history. Cause he's had his, he's had his knees both. I think both his knees he's had some sort of injury history with. So uh, you, before before move on, was there anybody else that comes to mind for you? I mean, I know you, I, you, there's one bat that I can remember off the top of my head and that was Michael. Uh, Confolio. Correct. Yeah. Confolio, Absolutely. Yeah. I do like the
0: idea of McCutcheon though. Definitely. I think that's a great one there, David uh, for the platoon reason. And then, depending on, you know, where you stand on veteran presence. uh, Certainly he could be that. And the Tigers are still, even with Miguel Cabrera on board, still a fairly young team. So um, McCutcheon could definitely fill a a veteran presence role there. So I I like it. Um, But I think the big thing now is pitching depth uh, only because, you know, they've, they've lopped a week off the schedule, but they're still going to try to get 162 games in uh, no seven inning games. Um, so – and they're still not going to pile a ton of innings on Scruble and Mice and Manning. So uh, I think they definitely uh, got to find a couple of arms uh, with some talent and, and uh, have that, you know, in the system somewhere.
3: Yeah, especially because – is Matt Manning ready to get a step up and go to the rotation full-time? And there are some numbers indicated, as you mentioned this before, Chris, about his – he got better towards the second half of the season, but is he going to be ready for a full season in the rotation? We'll see. But I mean, I, I think that Manning, in addition to you, they signed, I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think of the other, there's a couple minor leaguers right now that come to mind that they could use as a potential to make the, uh, as long relievers. But right now, in terms of starters, a little bit of hodgepodge. But uh, so... Well, one of the things I wanted to move on to was I wanted to get into the 1972 Tigers and the reason why we wanted to bring David on, because we were talking about last week, we talked about the 2013-2014 Tiger squad. And this is the 1972 team for those. I mean, I know we have some younger folks in the audience, but that 1972 Tigers team, truth, the more I look at that team among the teams that gave Oakland a problem during their run, it was that 72 team. Would you say that is correct, David?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, one quick thing going back to the, uh, to the pitching. Chris had mentioned uh, Garrett Richards. Something to uh, consider there is Richards was uh, a witness in the Skaggs uh, death trial, you know, the opioids thing. And I know that he uh, allegedly, I don't know if this has been proven, was in contact with, uh, you know, the defendant you know, about uh, wiring money to him. So wow. while, while nothing may happen, there may be innocence there. I'm not suggesting that Garrett Richards is guilty of anything. Something could creep up in the future with that.
1: But Yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, I, I speculated in my head without ever saying this out loud, if, if maybe the Tigers knew a little bit more about that, uh, it was part of the reason why they didn't pursue C.J. Crone again, because he was also involved in that but also garrett richards was one of we remember when when the sticky stuff was coming out remember the text messages with uh it was like verlander everybody was going to the angels for that and garrett richards is one of the people whose spin rate went down the most not necessarily the most but he was definitely affected adversely by the spin rate stuff so
2: oh he was he was affected greatly i mean i'm in i'm in boston where he is yeah he was he kind of fell off a cliff a while you know, he had to reinvent himself a little bit, like Matt Barnes did as well. Yeah, went from an all-star to suddenly not spinning the ball.
1: Yeah, it was tough, and and then yeah, so they bought the Red Sox eventually moved him to the bullpen, and that was basically was was my contention with him was, and, and there are other pitchers like this that somebody who could theoretically be, uh, you know, compete <laughs> for a spot in the rotation, and if it doesn't work out, then help fill in the bullpen because the Tigers need some more flexibility there, I think, just to find some innings. But anyway.
2: Yeah, on the on the nineteen seventy two team though, an interesting thing there is, uh, you know, who was the closer on that team? Do any of you know that off the top of your head?
3: That'd be John Hiller, wouldn't it?
2: No, that was Hiller's first year back from the heart attack, so he was not yet. You was it John?
3: John? Was it Chuck Seabach?
2: It was Seelbach and Fred yes. Sherman both. Okay. You know, Sealbach, of course, fascinating because he pitched almost entirely his almost his entire career that season. I assume he got hurt after that year. I don't know that, but he pitched I don't maybe 60 of his 75 major league games that year, and he was very, very good.
3: And that was one of the last years that, correct me if I'm wrong, that was one of the last years the Tigers really kind of used more or less a, 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 I want to say, I mean, they had Woody Fryman in in the back end of that rotation, but it seemed like it was more, you're talking about a bullpen that was essentially – at times almost nine guys essentially, or even eight in terms of the, how many innings used, because it just seemed like a hodgepodge of guys. But in terms of starters, I mean, the number that stands out, it was what Mickey Lola is 372 innings just still blows my mind.
2: And Joe Coleman, who is a very, very underrated pitcher for a long time. You no, know, they had pitching back then. You know, they had people remember the hitters. Uh, you know the pitching really helped carry that the team that year
3: yeah the, the one of the things about that team too that I, I particularly found interesting was is the fact that you have uh, it was yes it was an older team in terms of the offensive offensively speaking but Joel yeah you mentioned Joel Coleman and the the pickup of Woody Fryman until Polly Doyle Alexander in 87 that was a that was a huge part of the Tigers kind of clinch to the division because Fryman in terms of just being a guy went in there. And I thought that among the moves that they made, it really solidified them in terms of getting a starter, a veteran starter. And I just, that was something that maybe, maybe it wasn't discussed enough, but I don't know. I thought that Woody Fryman made a difference for them to win the division.
2: No, he made a big difference. Uh, you know, that team just, it fascinates me so much because you look at another of the starters was Bill Slayback, you know, who was very good for a very, very short time. And um, I'm assuming a lot, you know, a, you guys and maybe some people watching and listening know that he wrote and performed the song, uh, Look Out, Babe, Here Comes Henry. <laughs> yep. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, he, yes. co-wrote, he co-wrote it with uh, Ernie Harwell. And it was released as a 45 while Slayback was pitching for the Tigers. And I believe it was 72 that that single came out as Hank Aaron was approaching the home run record.
0: Well, I I didn't I knew I knew that uh, Ernie had played a role in that, but I didn't know about Slayback. That's that's really cool.
2: Now, he was the recording artist.
3: Another thing about that season too, and that stands out and we'll get to, we have some questions in YouTube. We'll get to those shortly. I promise. And we got some questions online too, but one of the things that also I remember that helped out the Tigers too, was the season started a little late. The season started, I believe it was supposed to be, it was two weeks after the regular season was supposed to begin.
2: I think, yeah, it was a very short strike. I think it was the first strike in MLB history but I think it was settled in maybe like 13 days. Unlike this year's mess.
3: Yeah. And, and also another thing about that team, um, in terms of the bird thing, I mean, talk about Mark Fidridge in 1976, but Tim, there's something I found. Tom Timmerman was known as the rooster. That was mm. his nickname, the rooster. So I, <laughs> one of those things I saved the newspaper when I was looking through the archives and I was just, I just thought about like oh, the, it seemed like this whole people loved going the easy route of naming something bird will like, but uh, yeah, he was known as the rooster. That was, he called, you know, his friends thought it was cool and he thought his kids thought it was cool. That was the only reason why I called himself the rooster.
2: And Timmerman had been the closer a few years earlier. I think he had 25 or 26 saves and then became a starter, which is something you don't really see in today's game is having to earn yourself in the bullpen first.
3: Yeah, and then the other the other thing too was to see, uh, to pitch for the Tigers just briefly, was a former Dodger by the name of Ron Perrowski who was part of those do- great Dodger teams in the early 60s. And it was another trend where the Tigers would try to find a veteran and, and try to get lightning in the bottle. I, of course, I think of uh, Eddie Matthews as a piece of trivia that was on the 68 team.
0: And Frank Howard on that oh, 72 yeah. team. Just it just seems like a Billy Martin kind of team, kind of veteran laden. Something that he would have liked working with.
3: Between yeah, we, drinks. No, this <laughs> the a, <it's> a second. <laughs> by the way, that's a second Howard reference to me. We made a reference last time we were talking to Mario Pemba that essentially his bat would look like a, a toothpick on him because he was such a large guy and he had these glasses and just seemingly looked out of place. It looked but he was. What was it? Six four, six five, or six six, six seven. I just seem like a giant. You could look like a professional wrestler.
2: No, he was about six foot seven.
3: Oh, oh six foot seven! Wow.
2: Yeah, Man. I believe he is one of uh, four tigers to hit the ball over the left field roof, or four players. Is that correct?
3: That is, yeah. You know, not,
2: I think Mantle is one. Howard is one.
3: Ren Reggie Jackson.
2: No, I'm I'm thinking left field.
1: Oh left field. Okay. So yes, no, no, you're right. Cecil fielder, I think, got yep. it, right? Yes, yeah. Cecil. Yes. Maybe McGuire.
2: That might be the
3: fourth. I thought look that up. there. Yeah, that's I always think of I always think of the right field porch, but I never think about the, the left field porch. So I did want to answer one quick question about the process before we move on. And that was from Brian in the YouTube chat. So with the new rules and incentives for service time, do torque and green make mm-hmm. the opening day roster?
0: Uh, David, I, have you ever spoken to Torkelson or Green? Not one on one,
2: only in uh, group zooms. So, do you, Chris think, do you think
0: they're going to be around on opening day?
2: Uh, roster resource at FanGraphs has Torkelson penciled in at first base. Okay. So, I think the chances there are good. I think he's probably more ready than than Riley Green.
1: Chris, what about you? Uh, so, actually, I, I actually feel like Green is more ready, just based on our, our viewings of him last year. Uh, even though he's younger, he's 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 uh, I don't know. He seems to be more consistent. Torkelson was would would mm. kind of go through these slumps, but I do think that if it were up to AJ Hinch and his coaches, then those two are going to be the opening day mm-hmm. roster. I I don't know. You know what kind of teams may still play the service time game. And just hope that uh, hope that their players are good, and, but don't win the awards that automatically give them a one year of service time now. But I, I think if the Tigers are serious about winning, I think both of those guys will be on the team because they also happen to fill pretty big holes on both <laughs> in both the lineup and uh, uh, in the field. You know, the, right now the first baseman is Jonathan Scope slash Miguel Cabrera, and they're. I don't know everyday center fielder. I don't know. I I still don't think green is a legitimate major league center fielder long term, but he may start there this year. And that would, yeah, it would round out their lineup quite, uh, quite well, I think.
3: And what I saw from Torgeson last year, we did see something that was evolving And when we were in Toledo last year, he started go, he tried taking the ball, the right field. And at first it was kind of like a slow progress, but then a couple weeks later, we went back and he was like stinging the ball, the right field hard. And to see those kind of changes from West Michigan on, and we saw him at all three levels. And it was astonishing that when he was at West Michigan, he was a little selective, was over swinging. And then in Toledo, everything was just, it was hard contact. And I, I think he's going to make the team out of, the, out of spring training. And I think the reason why I think green based off what we've seen is because if you look at the four, five field, of the situation right now, there's you have Derek Hill, you have Victor Reyes, you have a, a, a hodgepodge of kind of guys who may or like not. I don't know. I, the, the the jury's still out whether or not people think that Victor Reyes. I think he's not an everyday outfielder. That's just me. And I think Derek Hill has shown flashes what he's capable of. But I I think Green has the advantage because he's a complete player and he can hit and he can play well defensively. But um, I do have hesitations that he might struggle out of the gate at first, but I think once he makes those adjustments and we, we've seen that firsthand too, just how many times he's in, in a in game, how he can adjust out there in the outfield and, and at at the plate. It, it's, it would be good to see two young guys in this in in this lineup, because again, the outfield situation is I think a little more shallow than what people think it is. And so,
1: and and I kind of uh, reminded, if this will take you back to like the Jim Leland days, you know he wants the best players he can have, and th- that goes back to Verlander mm-hmm. and Zamaya making opening day roster in two thousand six, and then what three years later, uh, Rick Porcello and Ryan Perry, not quite the same, but uh, they were mm-hmm. the young guys, and they made the opening day roster in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. I believe, where Porcello was twenty and and you know had about one hundred and twenty professional innings under his belt, but when he when he made the team
3: we saw that last year with A.J. Hinch too when uh, in terms of even starting we saw with um, Nomar um, Marza who's uh, struggling and they went with a younger player because he wasn't getting it done and of course doing the the ground ball routine so um, that's always his, his MO but at any rate I, I think like I said it, I'm just in terms of even for a standpoint of prospect status it does would we'll see what happens after that. You have, and I'm sure David, you're, you're really excited to talk to the likes of uh, Jackson Job and Ty Madden. And in terms of the, uh, for your off season, some of the players you've looked at or talked to you a little bit, what is the, I guess for to, to Tiger fans it, it, from what you've seen and what you've written and just kind of getting the vibe there to you, is there changes that does, are the changes that obvious in terms of organizational changes in terms of, player changes.
2: Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you mean.
3: So in terms for example, like we've seen in spring training that you see all the new equipment and mm-hmm. last year, AJ Hinch getting a lot out of a team that wasn't, it wasn't expected to do a lot. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's a different mindset. And I mean, you go around the, the camps and you've seen, you go to the minor league ballparks and you see kind of a, I, I thought there was a different feel last year in terms of organization, in terms of people, you saw the numbers with, well, Brisky, a late round draft pick and the Tigers have never really gotten any kind of value from their late from 20 round draft picks. Even the guys like Chavez Fernander and what have you. So I was just curious to see if you saw anything different while traveling around a little bit that made you go, oh, this is this is different than what the, Tiger, the teams I'm used to seeing.
2: In other words, are the Tigers uh, no longer in the 1970s as far as uh, <laughs> how, how they pr- approach technology and player development?
3: <laughs> yeah, that, I should have just said that, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, no I, that's very true. Uh, when I spoke to Eric Haas on my annual uh, Detroit trip last year you know, and wrote about him, that's what we talked about a lot, about what he saw coming over from Cleveland, who is, of course, very... You know, cutting edge, you know, on the early side. And when he got to Detroit was right before they started to make that jump. And uh, Eric Haas talked about that. He said a lot of changes got made and uh, the team got a lot, I don't know, I don't know if he used the word smarter, but I think that's it's pretty accurate.
1: No, David, you know, I, I, if, if baseball's a town, I consider you a man about town. I, I feel like you're always uh, – a couple times, I think, in, in the last six or seven years, I've been at West Michigan interviewing players while you were a couple rows <laughs> down interviewing players at the same time. And, yeah, that, that Haas interview, I, I know we used for several Motor City Bengals articles, and I believe one about Ryan Kreidler, too, about his, yeah. his making a swing change or something. Prior to uh, last season, that, that tapped into his power. So it's a, it's it's fun having you as a resource there at FanGraphs. It's also nice knowing that you're a, a Michigan native. Uh, I know somebody was just asking about Kreidler, but I don't know if any of us have any particular insight there. I, I think he hit a home run today.
2: Yeah, uh, I will send a bill if you're
1: uh, <laughs> if you're
2: borrowing all of my so-called expertise. No, I certainly hope to make it to West Michigan again this year as well. That's uh, usually an annual trip for me.
3: Yeah, and as far as Kryder goes, I think that it's going to take him a little bit more, uh, maybe another year, maybe a half a season in Toledo. But I thought when well, the power surge out there in Toledo, it was kind of where we, I know Toledo was using different balls than they were in Erie. So, and then even in the last ten game series of the year, they were using I think the ticky tap baseball that's been uh, for the uh, the home stretch. So, I I like to think that I mean in terms of defensively, Crydler May play third. I think he could play multiple positions, mm-hmm. but as far as bat his bats concerned, you want to see a little bit more of the strikeouts c- cut down. But I, I, I don't know. That's just I think Crydler's just not the, too far away. At least no, so play,
2: the idea of Kreidler at third is interesting because I think Candelario might be the the best player on this team going forward, with the exception of the ceilings of guys like Green and Tarkelson.
3: Yeah, and the, to, uh, the thing about Candelario, and I've always felt like I've had to stick up for him in some ways because everybody, I feel like there should be more set. I, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I think that Candelario is very underappreciated in his town a little bit. I mean, in, in terms of just popularity, I th- I would think as a player, he's done, <clears throat> he's done more than proven himself, and I've gotten into arguments with people saying, well, it's just you know, he's a, he stands out on a bad team, but last year he solidified his shortened 2020 season with a solid campaign. And again, leading the team in offense. So Ken a, he's arbitration eligible. So there's going to be some talk about his contract. So as far as trade bait or anything like that, I, I don't see the Tigers do anything with that, but it does bring a, a case with Kreidler. If they wanted to, they, I think they would have to see whether they have with Cryler before they would make anything. But I, I don't know. I just, I think Candelaria was so popular among his teammates. He's a good teammate. I don't see that happening. And I've keep seeing people saying, well, we have to do something with him or Paredes. And, and that's another thing I want to ask guys in terms of Isaac Paredes, what's his role? Does he have a, I'll start with you, Chris. Does he have a role going into this team, uh, going into 2022?
1: It's, it's hard for me to find a place for him. Uh, particularly if Torkelson comes up and is playing first every day, then Scope is back at his natural second base, and then yeah, Paredes—you assume he's either he's a fifth infielder or he's down in Toledo or he's a trade chip. But th- that's that's kind of where Kreidler has, finds himself now too, because I know he, they said he played three positions today, and, and he does seem like he can handle second, shortstop, and third. But uh, and it's nice to have that depth at Toledo, but at a certain point, you want to get you know, major league value for your players and it, whether that's them playing for you or trading them. And oddly enough, if you look at the Tigers farm system now, they have a handful of left side infielders kind of that, that are noteworthy at least. So they may be able to trade from that surplus, if you will. Uh, could it be Freddy? Sure. I They may want to try to build back his value though because he doesn't strike me as having a ton of value at this point. Oh, you, David.
2: Well, one thing is coming to mind is you always have to be careful about thinking, well, we have depth at this position we can trade because guys get hurt all the time. You know, guys underperform all the time. So, you know, depth is a good thing to have. If you're going to trade a player like that who maybe doesn't have a lot of value, but maybe does have upside, you know, it could come back to bite you conversely you could keep him and he could go the way of so many other players who just never pan out. You know, that's why the front office guys and the, you know, the scouts, you know, get paid what they do.
3: So that's why they get paid the big bucks. You, what about you?
0: Well, I think that with Paredes, he just kind of got to wait it out. He's I think deceptively young, you know, they acquired him at an extremely young age. So he's certainly at, at, a, at an age where there could still be some progression left. But I think he's just got to prove it at Toledo. Uh, he was, You know, when I saw him last year, he's, he had some wonderful at-bats, but he had some spotty at-bats, which I guess is normal for a lot of young guys. But uh, they can f- still afford to be patient. I think he's just been in the organization now long enough where a lot of fans are getting impatient about him. Uh, but, yeah, I still think there's some talent there. The big thing with Candelario is – I you know me. I'm in favor of trading anybody for the right price. You know, I'm obviously, uh, and I I just don't think. Well, I like him, and he's a good player. I think he's the kind of player you can challenge yourself to get better. Uh, and if you see a move out there that you think makes the team better, then Candelario goes, and you can slot in Kridler if he's playing well, and that's fine. Um, uh, but so. You know, is, is is Jamer Candelario going to be the difference between the next team that makes the playoffs? You know, uh, maybe, but I don't think it's a sure thing. Um, so I, I think a trade could be coming this year. If he's having a nice summer and at the deadline, someone needs a third baseman or a first baseman, uh, that could be the move that happens.
3: So we did get a couple of questions, Chris. I don't know if you saw the deadly... Ninja be deadly ninja bees, uh, question or not, but we did get a couple of questions this evening. I didn't see that. Me, oh, okay, uh, I could check it unless you have it right there. Uh, yeah, I, I, could, I could pull up really quick. Okay, so yeah, so there's we always there's a one of my, my favorite followers on there with the cool name Deadly Ninja Bees had a, a question in regards to the spend, and this came up a couple times about whether or not the Tigers are gonna go after Korea or not, but I again. I just, I just want to say no, I, no, I don't, I don't know if you guys think it, anybody else thinks otherwise, but I just think that it, to me spending that much money on a player where they could use it elsewhere, I, I, even with the new CBA agreement and the the cap, if you will, I don't see that happening, but um, that was one of the, he had a question. He, He's phrased it a little differently. Um so he asked also this torque and green break camp. So we answer that question, but he he phrased it up as is Illich going to stop being a cheap POS. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, you know, I you know. Go ahead, Chris.
1: I, well, you was going to talk too, but I, I I don't know if he's going to talk about the same thing. I was going to, but I'll, it's fine. <laughs> you wanna, uh, I, I just think, you know, it, it's hard to call Illich cheap this off season to me yeah. when, I mean, He's clearly not spending as much money as he could, but they have spent a bunch of money this year. And I don't know if you saw, you know, the big thing. What was it last last week? Uh, just a few days ago, was that the Tigers were one of four teams to oppose the the raising of the yeah. the CBT, the Competitive mm-hmm. Balance Tax, or whatever from whatever uh, uh, and ten million to two hundred twenty million, I think it was. Yeah. Yep. And and so the way that everyone read that was that. You know, that the Tigers and, and Chris Illich are just being incredibly cheap. But there was an article, uh, I think yesterday, maybe two days ago, in The Athletic uh, that actually talked to the CEO of the Diamondbacks, I believe, which was one of the other four organizations. Yep. And they said that they opposed it because yeah. they didn't like, they didn't think the penalties for teams that went over were nearly strong enough. So I I, not to like, you know, I'm getting kind of into the fine print here, but it doesn't necessarily just because Chris Illich opposed or the Tigers were one of the teams that opposed that raise in the the competitive balance tax or whatever it's called uh, doesn't necessarily mean he was being incredibly cheap there. There there are other reasons behind it.
2: There probably are. But at the same time, it's one of four, four guys. And that sort of stands out, at least perception wise.
1: Oh yeah. It, from a PR standpoint, it looks absolutely awful. And I'm sure they never wanted that to come out. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So maybe he will make a move to, uh, to kind of combat that negative mm-hmm. PR, but I doubt it's Carlos Correa, maybe Carlos Rodon.
0: Well, and uh, you know, I, I was uh, on Twitter talking about that today and, and last night uh, if they, well, if they have any worry about the stench of the bad PR that they had got last week, do they jump in really quickly, like even tonight and, <clears throat> you know, make a splash move that maybe we didn't anticipate uh, or only dreamed about, you know, and if that happens, then it's pretty hard to call them cheapskates, uh, whether that's Conforto or McCutcheon or uh, uh, Rodon, as you mentioned, uh, any of those kind of moves would qualify. And then it would be pretty hard, you know, depending. Uh, uh, going back and looking at that boat and saying that village is a cheapskate. So, uh, but they may not care, you know. Maybe that. Maybe they think the uh, the bad PR fades in time.
3: Yeah, I mean, to me, I look at it the same way Chris did, and, and I wrote the the red pill blue pill matrix reference that I don't think a lot of people got, but whatever. I I ran with it, but you swallow the blue pill and you believe that. Chris Illich is fighting for his, the, the rights of the team in terms of, you know, I'm not going to let these bigger teams and, and run all over us and what have you. Or you can believe that the Red Pill and believe that he's a cheapskate, but there is a lot of moving compartments to it that we will not know. And I think fans have to, in terms of, look at other, if you look at other teams' in division, the White Sox haven't really done much. The Guardians haven't, I don't think, I think the Guardians are like one of a handful of teams that didn't sign anybody, free agent-wise. I believe... I think the Royals haven't really done much either. The Twins, here's my prediction. Excuse me. This is my prediction for the Twins. I think in the next few weeks, gentlemen, I think the Twins are going to be very active. I just think that they have a lot of things to address in terms of rotation. I don't know about what you guys think of the t- team that's going to go out and go in a f- frenzy here, but the White Sox might, might do something. I, I don't know. Maybe they won't, but regardless, I think the Twins are going to be the most active team. I don't well, know I don't because- think-
2: I don't think the White Sox have to do very much. And I think that the Royals are very similar to the Tigers. They have a ton of young talent and are going to be very good in a few years. If I was the Tigers, I would be very careful about trying to make a splash to show the fans we're ready to win now, because I don't think this team is actually quite ready to contend yet. I think they're a year away. And I think if you can make – if you spend a lot of money to make a splash, that – you know, that you don't want to end up going backwards because of that.
3: Yeah. And I, there is, I agree with you on that, David, because I think that the, one of the things that stands out to me in terms of even what you guys mentioned earlier is, are you going to tax a a new rotation like that? You still have Mize still hasn't pitched above in terms of where I think it's most innings he's thrown is 125, I believe to that effect. Chris, I can't remember.
1: I thought he hit about 150 last year, but still it's not, you know, like, yeah, not, you're expecting your, your top starters to go about 180 now, I think, which is kind of funny to say, but yeah.
3: I'm sorry. I meant to say that 125 before last year in college, because he, he, he had some arm problems beforehand. So, and so you have also realized that Terry Scoble, despite his numbers, I mean, he did what led the league, I think in home runs, given up like in terms of like, it was it like 37 or something like that, or that fact, But, uh, the one other, th- I think that was in terms of questions. Unless I'm missing something, Chris, did you see any other questions we got this evening? Uh, the only ones I, you know, I saw we kind of already
1: addressed was just like ideas of who the Tigers might want to go after. Now, um, I'm, I'm kind of with uh, with David there. What I I don't picture them making a, a gigantic move, and I don't necessarily think we've talked about it before where they could they could theoretically be a better more talented team this year and still lose more games than they lost Mm -hmm. uh, last year just because of the the vagaries baseball but uh yeah i I think some small moves on the edges would help and then you kind of you you see what your young kids can do
2: well the small moves on the edges you know we were talking about the 1972 team earlier you know and maybe we can circle back to them more in a bit yeah they made small little incremental moves uh, to get better because they were really the polar opposite of this team. They were a bunch of veterans. You had K-Line and Cash who were nearing nearing the end. They were well up into their mid 30s. And a bunch of guys who were about 30 years old, 30, you know, 31. So it was win now. They didn't really have young players on that team. You know, this is this is the opposite. This is where you build.
3: And and yeah, and there was even, you back to the 72 Tigers, the, the one of the things that stands out to me among, we talked about the pitching earlier, was the addition. Some of the, you look at a season that coming off the second season in Detroit, Aurelio Rodriguez, who really kind of, in terms of the, the defensively, mm-hmm. would define the, the team for the next decade. That's one of those moves that. Uh, McLean just won a Cy Young in what 71, right? Was it 71 he won his second Cy Young, or am I thinking
2: 68 and 69?
3: Oh, 68, oh, 69. Okay, that yeah, yes, I but think been...
2: he, I think he shared it with Mike Cuellar.
3: Okay, the, yeah, the one of the four Baltimore Orioles who won 20 games in was it 71? I think it was 71, or... they won the World Series. All right, sweet. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm, again, four. I remember the four starters, and I always celebrate little victories like that. But uh I digress. But defensively, <laughs> defensively, this team, the, David, this is a very good defensive team. This is still Bill Freehan; he's still thirty years old. But even at, at Brickman, who was a light hitting shortstop, is a light hitting left side of the infield. But defensively, they were one of they're very sound.
2: No, they were very sound, you know, and Mickey Stanley, of course, was not quite Mickey Stanley at that age. I think at that time, I think he's probably 30, 31. No, it was a a fantastic defensive team in in a hitter's ballpark, which is another difference from here. You wonder what would this Tigers team look like? How would these players perform if they played in Tiger Stadium? You know, would Candelaria be a bigger offensive star, for instance? We'll never know.
3: And another defensive guy who was good with his bat too was Tony Taylor, who the Tigers picked up in June of nineteen seventy one. And he was a veteran that kind of was good in a good off the bench. And one of the I guess he could play multiple positions. He could play second, third, and first. And I know that Philadelphia he's very honored. I think he was they had a night for him in Philadelphia not too long ago before he um yeah, I think he yeah, not too long ago he was remembered by the Phillies fans. So that was another veteran that I think doesn't get talked about enough on that 72 team. Is there anybody else that stands out among there's a couple bench bats there. Yeah, I mean, Jim Northrup was kind of at that point coming off the bench of correct me from wrong. And then another uh, backup catcher, the Tigers had a lot of these backup catchers in the seventies that crack me up because mm-hmm. some of the names like Duke Sims, Duke Sims <laughs> sounds like a Western name. It sounds like some guy that's going to at, at the okay corral or something, but is there anybody else on that? bench or uh, offensively or excuse me, in the starting nine that stands out to anybody. Well, I just like,
0: you know, you look at uh, freehand, probably should be a Hall of Famer, certainly borderline case. Uh, Just impressive that his backup was Duke Sims with a uh, OPS plus of 168. (laughs) Can can you imagine any catcher in baseball was sitting with a 168 OPS plus right now? uh what do you hit i'm just taking a peek here i knew it was good but it was 316 432 480 uh, so that was pretty solid number two choice um i was also looking i'm struck by kind of k-line's last decent statistical year when you look at, at slash line uh, of course he was 37 years old and he only played 106 games that year so obviously uh, probably some injuries setting in
2: yeah, an interesting K-line thing that I looked up at some point. Um, you know, he ended up hitting, what, 297, I think, for his career. Yeah. Although he, he, he just passed 3,000 hits in that final season. Had he uh, quit playing uh, maybe three or four games, you know, prior to the end of the previous year, he'd have ended up with a 300 batting average for his career. And he, of course, ended up with 399 home runs. Yeah. Of which I know he lost at least one, if not a few, to to Reynolds. Yep. True story. Yeah. The uh, the Tony Taylor thing brings to mind that he was really uh, Tony Phillips before Tony Phillips. Very similar players.
3: Even in terms of stature, too, like just that kind of built, I don't know, just in terms of how they approach <laughs> themselves at the plate. There is something about I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Youper and David this question because this is something that doesn't happen today, and and, and actually the Tigers stopped doing it until the early I think 1991 was the last time they did it. The idea of carrying three catchers, what was that? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's a little bit about before I was paying attention to baseball. So why three catchers? Is there is there a reason why that was such a prevalent thing?
0: Well, I think partially you know it was pre DH. so uh, you, you could have a longer bench and not have a, a DH uh, designated there. Um, but I always liked the three catchers because then you don't have to hear some, some announcer tell us, well, you don't really want to pinch hit for your, your catcher late in the game. Well, now you mm-hmm. can <laughs> because you have a third catcher. Uh, and, the, and the bullpens were shorter, so you could afford it to, to roster a guy like that.
2: No, that's exactly what it was, was uh, 10-man pitching staffs.
3: Yeah, just seeing some of the numbers in the bullpen, in terms of pitch, like, kind of going over 100 innings. Bullpen guys were going, that's typical of that period of time. Correct. You
0: know, when you look at that, one thing I always jumps out to, I love moments. Uh, I was in preparation for this today. I specifically went and looked at the moment in the playoffs where uh, Campanera fired that bat at Laren LeGro. And just thinking in today's world of social media and Twitter, how often how the, the blow up over a moment like that today would have been just insane.
2: I don't know yeah, if you guys I've, have
0: seen that play, but it's, it's a dandy.
2: No, I have, of course, from the 72 ALCS. Um, I believe that Campanaris was suspended for the rest of the series, but he then played in the world series, Yeah, which is incredible. That's uh, probably a 40 game suspension today.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he, he fired that bat at him. That was no, uh Hey, I'm going to toss my bat at this guy. That thing was throwing with some malice. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that was not the, uh, you know, the Roger Clemens throw the the piece of the bat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, another thing about that 72 team that I looked up is uh, over the course of the entire season, they were never in first place by more than four games, and they were never more than two and a half games out of first place. So that team was in a pennant race from the first game of the year to the That final series, which they of course, and we somehow haven't brought this up yet, that because of the strike, the Tigers ended up 86 and was it 86 and 70? And the Red Sox were 85 and 70.
3: Yep. They gave them that time. Yeah. And that was something that I I know that it was there was something that was highlighted that it gave the Tigers an extra opportunity to rest because they were such a veteran team name. So (laughs) do you you
2: know who do you know who else was on that nineteen seventy-two Red Sox team very briefly? Who's that? Uh, Rogelio Moret.
3: Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. See, I can, yeah. It's,
2: one of the handful of Rogelios
3: in uh, MLB history. There should be some more Rogelios in my opinion, but uh, <laughs> no, it's just like it's a cool name. No, I, I think sometimes it's because my brain works a thousand miles an hour. I, I tend not to, for whatever reason, I have to slow down and just think about the, the pronunciation. And I, it's one of those things where I have to see it, but I do have video of that f- for anybody who's watching us on YouTube right now, I do have a video of the bat being fired. And it's one thing that I, when I first saw this, I, I couldn't, this is something I saw a few years ago. I didn't know this incident happened <clears throat> I, when I was doing a story on the 72 tigers. And here it is right here. And things are about to get, yep. Right there. Oh, and then, <laughs>
0: I'm telling you, the barrel of that bat misses his head by what? Four inches.
3: Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then of course Billy Martin comes out and, it's a little crazy and yeah,
1: that is <laughs> it. Are, are, are any of you familiar with the podcast, the dollop? It's no, uh no. it's an American history podcast with mm. a couple of comedians. One of them presents uh, a story to the other one who doesn't really know anything about it. And they did a two-parter on on Billy Martin and all, and it was just absolutely absurd. All the different times of him drinking and getting in fights, and drinking and getting fights, and he, like it was enough to fill a three-hour podcast.
3: Yeah, there was a big, there was a uh, during the Yorktown podcast. I don't know if you guys remember this. I don't know if you guys watched this on the um, on YouTube, but he was a big reason why Ken Griffey hated. Ken like, Griffey Junior. did not want to play for the Yankees because. When Billy Marr was the manager of the Yankees, he told me you want kids around, and yelled them, and that always stuck out to Ken Griffey Jr. Fun fact.
2: Wow. Yeah, you know, that 72 Tigers team, or really that whole era, I'm sure you guys know they had so many Michigan natives on that team. You know, five or six of them. They actually, I think, had a lot of Ohio natives, which is maybe a negative But (laughs) one of the Michigan natives on that 72 team, very, very briefly was Ike Blessett from Hamtramck. If any of you are familiar with him. Yes. Uh, Ike Blessett told me a Billy Martin story once several years ago that, uh, and it actually didn't have to do with drinking, but if it is true, uh, and I, it's a story I actually can't share here. Maybe in in private I could, but it was like, it was a, he did what? He, <laughs> uh, yeah. Billy Martin was uh, a great manager and a very good player. Uh, as far as a human being, uh, maybe not.
1: Yeah, that podcast made it pretty pretty clear. It was kind of remarkable how, but but how many times he would come to a team and the team would instantly get better as a manager. Like you know, I've always talked about how it's hard to measure exactly what a manager can do, how they can make you better. But for whatever reason, he seemed to have the magic touch there. But yes, not a great person based on <laughs> what I listened to there. No. I'm sure it's based on a, a, a book or whatever written about him. But
2: No, and, and an interesting thing about the Tigers teams he managed, because they were so veteran, uh, you know, if not old, they didn't have a lot of speed. Uh, he loved to run. Uh, when he was managing the Twins, I think that was for one year, and then he got fired uh, because he was Billy Martin. Uh, the, that was a year that Rod Carew stole home seven times, and the Twins had multiple triple steals that year. Not double steals, triple steals. They had, <laughs> they, had they had two or three. Just think about that.
1: That is cool. Is That's crazy even, I, I don't even know. Like, How do you even do that with, with like, all right. I guess you just well, have to. You just run immediately because you're not going to fool a guy into throwing down to second. I don't think.
2: Well, well, no. It's it's bases loaded and somebody yeah. steals home, which they yeah. did. You know, maybe ten times that year. I think Cesar Tover, Tovar had a few. And if you're the trail runners and you see that, you just go because the <laughs> catcher is not thinking about you. He is trying to catch the ball and
0: tag the runner sliding into home. Old Billy didn't care about run expectancy the charts in those days <laughs> oh. <laughs> well
1: it, you know one thing that's, that's' i find interesting uh it it's sort of perfect is is that i think you guys touched on it seventy two was the last year before the d h at least in the america League now we have it universally mm-hmm. uh and if you look at uh league wide offensive stats for the last 50 years the two lowest batting averages were 1972 mm-hmm. at 244 and 2021 at 244 the uh the difference mm-hmm. last year is that players are getting on base at a higher rate and hitting for much more power but uh yeah it, it i i was struck when i was looking at like the team batting leaders and it was uh yeah you know calein had that good year but offensively speaking you're you're talking about hitting 260 basically being an above average player
3: by the way uh I don't know if you guys know this about Ike, but he was on the last team before the Taylor team that won the Little League World Series. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but uh, he was part of the Hamtramck Tigers, and he was part of that Little League World Series team, which was, I think, in 58, 59. I can't exactly remember the year, but he was. That was something I remembered when I was doing some research last year on the Taylor, the Hamtramck team in general, because there's not a lot of players that have been talked about, but he did play. He was part of that Team, so one thing to pass on along there. So
1: that team is enshrined there at the Michigan Baseball Hall of Fame at uh, at uh, at (laughs) Lugnut Spark. I'm blanking on the name now, but uh, you know where the Lugnuts play. Mm -hmm. The outfield, they have all the plaques for the Michigan Baseball Hall of Fame. And oh yeah, that's right out there.
3: Yeah, that's definitely worth a piece of history there. And and I don't know if you guys are going to check out the Hamtramck State. The the this year they're going to be doing some things down there along the Saber Society. Southern Michigan. So there's details on that later to come, but there'll be some stuff. We're going to be doing some stuff down in Hamtramck and uh, looking forward to that. So um, David, before we let you go, what do you have coming up that you want to let our, our fans know? Yeah. Anything articles coming up on uh, outside of uh, your Sunday piece? Uh
2: Nothing Tigers wise. Um, That's a good question. What day of the week is today? It's Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think tomorrow I have a a prospect interview to accompany our Red Sox top prospect list. And actually here, circling back to the three catchers, I'm now thinking that the last Red Sox player to hit 400 is actually not uh, Ted Williams. The last Red Sox player to hit 400 playing the entire, being on the roster the entire season was uh, a third-string catcher named Roger LaFrancois in maybe 1980. He went four for 10. <laughs> and he was he was on the roster the entire year. He was not in the minors at all.
3: Wow. Because that. he was a
2: third catcher, I think he caught a lot of bullpens.
3: Wow. That's, a, that's a also a really cool name, too, by the way. That's probably – it's good. <laughs> yeah,
1: not hard to go 400 when you only play – a handful of games here. It's right. it's still hard but uh no, you
0: I... you're in uh, Fenway so often all summer long as as and also a lot of other ballparks but for us who don't get there uh several times a year tell what's is the buzz in Fenway really different than other major league parks to you?
2: Uh compared to some, yes. Compared okay. to others, no. Um, I can tell you that the postseason this past year was absolutely electric, which anybody who saw the games on TV could probably tell that. No, the the fans are into it, and you're close. It's like Tiger Stadium was. You are up close and personal,
0: and the history just adds so much to the the feeling. Well, you do a good job of making it certainly making me jealous when you post that this is my office for the night.
2: yeah you know what though if i was in detroit i would be at Comerica probably just as often and i think you would be jealous to think that hey you're back again
3: absolutely that's probably one of the favorite one of my i sit uh, i have season tickets i sit in section 328 right um right above first base and what I like about that section is, I mean, I'm going to try to get in more of the <clears throat> over the, under the yawning this year when it rains. Cause I, I, I don't care. I don't like sitting in the rain for anything, but uh, it, it's the view of the anywhere in Comerica parks, a good view. And to me, at least in my opinion, no matter where you sit and the, uh, the aspect of having the ability to catch uh, uh, in terms of like, comparatively speaking, the entire stadium where you might have a set behind a a pillar or, the bleacher seats, which were never comfortable. I don't I just, even as a safety, I mean, we went, we went, I went as a safety and it, it would never, mm. I can never, the whole like, trough experience. I always talk about that, but it's just, something that, I know people love the romanticized tiger stadium and, and rightfully so. Mm. Uh, but there's some people that kind of look at it as there's fans who still mm. view the whole tearing down tiger stadium as a, it's a bad thing. I think Comerica is a beautiful ballpark. That's yeah, just,
2: can you see my shirt?
3: <laughs> well, you, guys, uh, I, I,
2: I took but, it out for the podcast it hasn't been on for probably about a year
3: nah, it looks, it, it's it,
2: one of those old t-shirts that you can't wear all the time because yeah. you've had it for
3: 20 years i have several shirts like that that my my <laughs> wife always get on me like you know we're gonna get rid of those shirts never uh so it, the best thing to do to the support fan is to donate there's memberships that go for five dollars a month the You can donate a certain amount, or you can do the <clears throat> uh, member gift card for $60. Anything to support FanGraphs. They do such a great yeah. job, and and this goes and helps some of the staff. And so uh, everybody there, essentially, and, and everybody, we've had some people. We've had Kevin Goldstein on, and we've had uh, Dan as well, uh, Soprowski, and the entire FanGraphs staff is awesome. So please, if you want to support them, we'll put the link in our podcast, It goes a long way, and and David, thank you for your time, and we really appreciate it, and look forward to another Sunday article. And it doesn't have to be Tiger-based. we still read it regardless because we always find some tidbits in there that, and it allows us to kind of get an overview of the farm system elsewhere or other teams elsewhere. Because now this next year, the Tigers gonna the division is gonna change, and so the Tigers are gonna see more other teams, gonna play division opponents less. So either way, check out his article; it's totally worth it.
2: No thanks. Real, let me uh, throw a real quick Tiger Stadium memory at you. Sure. Uh, I had moved to Boston uh, by '99, and I traveled back for the last series, uh, actually, that the Red Sox played at uh, Tiger Stadium. I think it. I think it was August, and uh, this fits in with the lockout here because Tony Clark, I recall, hit a foul ball off of the facade of the the top deck you know didn't quite make the roof off of uh, Brian Rose, you know crappy Red Sox right-hander. Uh same at bat he hit one off the uh facing of that same deck uh maybe 10 or 15 feet fair. Same at bat two balls. I think well he'll never, you know, probably never throw that pitch to him again. I think he threw <laughs> that pitch so I saw Tony Clark uh, almost hit the roof twice in the same at bat.
3: And that's why I've never heard of Brian Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Every
2: team has a lot of Brian Rose. They show up for a couple of years, win a couple of games, lose a couple games, they're gone.
3: Uh, I think of uh, I always think of my favorite prospect before I found out what prospects were all about hype was Steve Searcy, who was they have an award named after him in the University of Tennessee uh, in terms of player of the year. But I remember reading in the Free Press all the time, or they always had the local angle too. Mm-hmm. The like local players are from the area. And C Searcy, they made it sound like oh, he was going to be somebody that's going to fit the rotation along with Kevin Ritz and Scott Aldred, And and then you just – those 90s Tigers teams, I just I, – I, I think about those rotations all the time. And some of the throwaway names that – John Dotterey comes to mind too. I'm trying to think of uh, – there's another one in there. Uh, Scott Sanders or was it Scott Sanderson or um, – Scott Sanderson, sorry. Scott Sanders comes to mind. The trade's back and forth with San Diego. Uh, I think you left the – I'm not sure when you left the UP David but as far as uh when you did I'm sure it's a time in tiger history that people just kind of cringe a little bit.
2: Yeah, no I left the UP and moved to Detroit in 85.
3: Ah, okay. Gotcha. All right. So 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 you're around for the 87 team and uh, what have you so that's uh that's pretty cool. I just thought that yeah, yeah it's just thinking about the the along the lines of um some of those 90 teams that I'm just I'm still ingrained in my head, but uh again, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it, and everybody will be back next week, and we'll be rolling out the, the the good, the bad, the ugly. We have the inside of numbers, probably some spring training additions too. So finally at baseball, appreciate it. We'll be back. I just said that, but uh, in terms of redundancy, I, I can't not stress that. Thankfully, we don't have to drag out anything else. Labor talks and I don't want to talk about labor ever again. So <laughs> until next week, everybody check out our Mario and Pemba interview that I put on there because I felt guilty with the new good news that people wanted to hear Mario and Pemba. So it is now free available on our podcast. So a lot better, plenty of Patreon content behind the wall soon. So until next week, everybody. See ya.
2: And Mario is great. Bring back Mario.
3: Yes. do <laughs> <See>, Mario. <laughs> fantastic. He was so generous with his time yesterday, so... But, uh, yeah, check it out, for sure. All right, well, let me...